Hello, hello, and welcome to today's episode of Saddest Night Out. My name is Roy, and I am the host of this daily podcast, and it's primarily about music and creative culture in London. And I have an upcoming live event that I'll be involved in, and that is Saddest Night Out Live number three. That will be at Road Trip and the Workshop, Tuesday, the 20th of August. Free entry, doors open at 7.30, and I will be joined by Izzy, Kin Soul and Rose White. That is Saddest Night Out Live number three at Road Trip and the Workshop, Tuesday, 20th of August on Old Street. On to today's episode. Today, I am speaking to a guest who has consistently blown my mind every time they perform at our open mics. His name is Moon Williams, and he says he has earned the title of the Grandfather of Soul. Now, with a title like that, you can only begin to imagine the story that must lie behind his career. So that is what this episode is about. And we, in all honesty, pretty much just scratched the surface. We met up at the Nelsons before I started the open mic there. And before we started recording our conversation, I established that what I'd like to do in this chat is just start at the very beginning and work our way forward. And I fully anticipate this being maybe a, a multi-part series, maybe two, maybe three. But with a title like Grandfather of Soul, you want to do that justice. You really want to get into the nooks and crannies and find out the full story of this extremely special performer. So this is hopefully the first, but not the only time, that I am speaking to Moon Williams about how he became Moon Williams. Enjoy this chat, and I'll catch up with you more afterwards. We are live. We're inside the Nelsons. We're a little earlier than the open mic. Still got time to set that up. But I'm here with a guest I've been wanting to talk to for a very long time. I'm very happy to be in their presence. Would you kindly introduce yourself to the listeners? Yes, Roy. My name is Moon Williams, and I'm a singer, vocalist. Yes, you are. You are... Without doubt, I don't think it's a stretch to say this, but you are always a highlight on any open mic night that Thank I do. It's been that. fantastic running into you. Thank you. And I've very much had the impression that this talent, this vocation of yours, has quite a story behind it. So what I'd like to do in this conversation is just go back to the beginning. Yes. Have you always lived in London? Yes, born London, yeah. I, have, I still live only a half a mile away from where I was born. Wow. I've been here all my life, yeah. So when did music first enter the picture? When I was uh, about 15, uh, the very first record I listened to mm-hmm. regularly on Radio Luxembourg was Wilson Pickett, In the Midnight Hour. Okay. That stuck with me, it was, it was non-stop. I, I sung it and sung it and sung it. And I was talking to a friend one day and I said, I'd love to be able to sing that song. So what we did was, we, he was a bass player, I didn't realise he was a bass player. So he mm-hmm. learnt the bass line. And we went into the local laundrette and we opened up a tumble dryer and used it as an echo chamber. Oh, right. And I just knelt over and he played the bass uh-huh. and I was singing Midnight Hour using the drum as like an echo. Like leaning chamber. into the drum yes. to kind of skip the echo. Which gave a lovely reverb and we thought, ah, we've got something here, you know. So we asked around, we used to go to a club at Dawson and we asked around a few people and they said, oh, yeah, we'd be interested. So we formed four of us, uh, Moon Williams and the Midnight Men, uh, cornerly enough. And uh, we were the only white band playing in the club. It was Club Macador at Dalston. Mm-hmm. And 
we knew the governor, Mr. Mack. And we played there for about six months, just playing soul stuff, really. We were the only white band in there. From age 15, we're talking here? Maybe 16 by the time we started working regularly, yeah. So I, mean, I left, yeah, yeah, I left school <coughs> before school time, really. Mm. Uh, so I had no dad, so I, I left school trying to get a job, <coughs> help my mum. And um, but the music took over pretty quickly, and uh, I actually ended up going to Germany when I was 18 with a band mm -hmm. to do the tried and trusted route. English bands were all going out, the Beatles, etc., all going out to Hamburg, mm -hmm. Erlangen, we went all around the Black Forest area, playing to American troops, which was incredible, incredible experience. Yeah. And all we had to do was every day we'd listen to the American Forces Network radio mm -hmm. to find out what was number one in America so we could learn it so because they'd be it. homesick yeah and as soon as we did the, the one the, the main one was what becomes of the broken hearted that was number one where they all left they all left to go to Germany to yeah. go on to Vietnam and uh, oh, it was amazing we once, as soon as we started playing it they treated us like royalty. It was incredible. <laughs> uh, so it's it's just um, absolutely amazing. I mean, it's, it's just been... And that was all before the age of 20, you know, sort of... Uh, I was in so many different types of bands, but all mainly soul-orientated bands, you know. I mean, I love... I saw Otis Shredding and I saw Sam and Dave, I saw Wilson Pickett. And um, I was lucky enough, when I was, I think it was 18, in the club at Dalston, I was in there just rehearsing with the band and we heard Stand By Me and I thought, oh, this guy's great. When I went round the corner it was actually Benny King. He was the guest on the Saturday night there. And uh, Mr Mack, the governor, said, introduced me to him and said, you know, would you mind if we had a little jam? You know, so we did. So I, I was singing along. And I ended up doing about four shows of him, you know, as a backing singer, and then an hour later or so, going back with the band and doing maybe two songs, you know. And um, it was great because he, it was him who recommended us to go to Germany. He gave us some agents' details, and just because we went through the agency that he knew, we got a good deal, you know, because yeah. the English agents were rather shady. Uh. <laughs> we didn't get paid till we came home. Mm. And that's how it worked. And if they'd moved office, that was it. Oh gosh. All you got was the experience, <laughs> which did happen quite well. Doesn't exactly pay the rent experience, unfortunately. No, exactly, no, no. So just to zoom in a little bit, so age 15, that's when you hear the first song that really grabs your attention. Is music, is that a common thing at your age, of other kids in class or in your area yes. into music? Yes, everyone I spoke to, used to, they used to all want to dance to different, not soul music, but more pop stuff. Mm -hmm. But I just loved listening to vocals. I loved Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, because they were doing stuff with words that you hadn't heard before. I'd obviously I'd been brought up with Elvis and uh, that type of music, and and then the Beatles in the sort of early sixties. As much as I loved their lyrics and I loved, they to me they were just a pop band. Okay. Yeah, very clever pop band, great harmonies, but. I would sooner listen to a, a, a slow soul song by either Sam Cooke or Otis Redding because the way they broke the lyric down, they didn't just sing the lyric as it was written. And if they did it live, they'd do it different every time, which is what I'm, I find myself doing now. Mm -hmm. If I'm singing live, 
I won't sing a song the same as I did two or three days ago because I'm always finding different places to go yeah. which I think is the, the best thing of all about live music and playing with good live musicians you know I'm lucky enough to be still friends with I mean the guys I went to Germany with I still speak to one of them that was 50 odd years ago I still speak to him every week you know we still chat all the time and he's a great drummer and, uh, and I'm guessing he's as passionate as you about. Oh, definitely. He's still work, working regularly now. You know, I mean, we're all, we're on my poster. It says uh, not to be confused with Paul Weller, who is the Godfather of Soul. Mm -hmm. They're branding me the Grandfather of Soul. Okay. Because of my age, yeah. So, uh, which is great because it's it, it suits because I've been doing soul stuff now for since I was 15, 16. You know. Mm -hmm. Now, was there anyone else in the family that was into no, music in any way? No, 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 not at all, no. So was there any friction there when you chose this is what you wanted to do? Well, there was a little bit when I said I was going to go abroad, mm -hmm. because, as I said, my mum was on her own. I had a brother who, uh, ironically, we didn't speak for 40-odd years, and, but he's, he came to a gig recently because he, was, he found he had uh, cancer. And I think that's something that happens in your head you know, you've got one living relative, sibling, and he wanted to get in touch, and it was it was lovely. So he's coming to this Saturday's gig as well, because it's not too far away from where he lives. That's so that's that's lovely, yeah. So it's in fact it's like the music, the sport, because otherwise I don't know how he got in touch with me. Yeah, I but guess. he saw my name. Yeah, complete coincidence. Saw my name on a marquee, and came down to the gig. Yeah, so um, so we've been in touch regularly, and uh, it's. So great, yeah, so music's got a lot to answer for, you know. So, um, and was Moon always the name? No, no, the guy I speak to every week, mm -hmm. he had a terrible habit, which can be a godsend sometimes, of nicknaming people. Okay. Everyone we know, even now, they've all got the same nicknames they had in the 60s, because <laughs> he gave them. So they stuck? I had chubby cheeks, so he called me Moonface. Oh, right. When I first met him, he went, oh, it's Moonface derogatory first of all but after yeah. about three or four months we got to know each other and he realized we were we were a good band okay. so he shortened it to moon and then i was doing a gig one day and a, a record uh an a r man came in from dj and records and said um i've been watching the band and he said to be honest i'm not so much particularly i'm not looking for a band but we are looking for a british soul singer because Tom Jones was already established then, you know, mm. so they were looking for something that they could call the Blue-Eyed Soul, which is now a bit cliched, but in sort of 1968, the Blue-Eyed Soul was, uh, you know, it wasn't that prevalent, yeah. you know, you, there wasn't a lot of singers around who could, co could cope with that label. So they signed me up, uh, and um, I was with them for six years. So and when did you join that A&R label? That was 1972, I actually joined them. They, they approached me around about 70, but I was working with a band at the time and uh, they, they weren't ready. Mm. But then Kaplan, who I'm still friends with now, was my producer at the time. He came and saw me again in, a, in another venue and said, if you're, if you're okay, you know, we, we can get moving with a deal. So I signed with them. It was an open-ended contract. I signed for one year, then it was going to be renewed. I stayed yeah. there for six years. Uh, and is this after Germany so it started Benny yes, King. Yes, it, start, it started with Benny, Benny King, Germany. then Germany. Which, by the way, as a first step, Benny King, that could be something yeah, in his whole career. Yeah, it's amazing, yeah, yeah, amazing. Outstanding. 
So and Benny that, King, then Germany. Yes, and then uh, came back. When I came back, I rejoined the band that I'd left uh, because I, I there were two separate bands going. One band was more like a, a sort of rock soul, mm -hmm. and the other band was more just a soul made up to go to Germany to suit okay. the occasion. The American right. troops, you know. When I came back, though, they were all getting to be professionals, and they wanted to go elsewhere and join. They were getting offers from different bands, so I, I wasn't that. I wasn't that bothered. So I went back to Fitzy, the guy that does all the nicknames, yeah. and we we were in a band for the next three or four years until I got the offer from DJM Records, and he understood. I said to him, "Look, I, you know, I've been offered a chance here, yeah, yeah. and absolutely wonderful, yeah." So around um, this time, is it? in Germany and coming back is it mainly covers of the, the hits of the day that you're doing yes I mean yeah I, I was also writing as well I mean I, I that's why I was signed to DJM as a singer songwriter I was signed at the same week as Elton John we both signed together in the same label DJM wow. Records yeah um, and well fortunately stroke unfortunately Elton made it before I did because uh, he was in a different genre, different mood, you know, his pop, and yeah. it, was, it was his own pop stuff, you know. Uh, I did, I mean, I did 40-something tracks with full orchestras, 50-piece orchestras, etc., in the studio. It was wonderful. And I've got, I've got them all at home, you know. They're a joy to listen to because you've got 24 string sections and backing singers. We've got six or seven backing singers on every track. They're wonderful. But... It's, a, it's too long to go into now, but there was a political situation with DJM Records. And uh, it was after maybe six months of hassle with the BBC, the BBC decided that no artist on DJM would get airplay. Oh dear. Now you had Dennis Waterman, mm -hmm. who at the time was in the number one show, uh, Minder. Mm -hmm. He sang the theme tune to Minder. I could be so good for you. Never was a hit because it would not get played on the radio. Oh. He was on DJM. Oh, Lovely cool. man uh, and a really good pop record uh, written by Gerard Kenny and it wasn't a hit. A shame. Any other label, any other company would have been a hit record but because of the DJM. It was, it was purely because Dick James, the late Dick James, uncovered a scandal, a DJ scandal taking bribes at the BBC. If you Google it, it's there, the payola scandal. And it was Dick that instigated the, the, the fire, all the findings, so they never forgave Dick for that. And punished everyone on the label. Everyone on the label, yeah. So, so I, I stayed there under sufferance for another three or four years and had all these wonderful tracks being made, wonderful stuff. We were sent records by Al Green's A&R man to say, like, Al Green is not going to release this in England. Would your man like it? You know. Mm. And um, and it's uh, you know, the tracks themselves they still stand up because because a good track's a good track regardless of its yeah. age uh, wonderful songs you know and it was it was very it was upsetting at the time but you know musically I was quite happy because I was I did a tour with the Three Degrees which led I did that TV show New Faces which at the time was like Britain's Got Talent etc. And Mickey Most was the Simon Cowell of the day. Okay. Very tough judge. But he gave me three maximum marks and said, I don't care what happens, I'm using this man. And he did. 
stuck with his work. And I ended up doing demos for him. I did the original demo for You To Me Or Everything, for the real thing, for Mickey Mouse. I did the demo of that. And I did, uh, you know, did quite a lot of things as well. And um, that was for Mickey Mouse himself. But the, although I didn't win, I got beaten by Marty Kane, who went on to host the show the following year. She had her own show on ITV. So if I'd have got beaten by sort of Fred Smith or someone, yeah. I'd have probably... Uh, Probably been a bit annoyed, but I got beat by someone who went on. Yes, yeah, so like fair enough. If they're the ones that did it, exactly. <laughs> uh, but although I didn't win, I was I still got what the winner got anyway, because the producer Les Cox was a big fan, so he gave me the six weeks tour, okay. which is what the winner got. So I toured with Three Degrees for two weeks, then I did the Fortunes, who who had number one records, Paper Lace, who were at number one at that week with Billy Don't Be a Hero, then I did the, the most crazy with Tommy Cooper which was absolutely incredible just the silliest funniest man I've ever met uh, and a couple of magicians that was a bit they, were, they weren't so <laughs> but um, that was great it was, it was a, a little golden period where you know I was touring just went up to Leeds Manchester Birmingham all around the different clubs so this is 70s how old are you at this point? Uh, well, I was uh, Born in 47, so 67, I was 20, 77, 26, 27. Wow, and it always um, feels like you've almost had a lifetime career just in already. what you've achieved there. Yeah. been through so much. I mean, then it, it changed. After I came back from the touring, mm-hmm. I was married, had kids, a wonderful situation. But I'm leaving them out of it soon because we're talking about music. Yeah, but when I came back, I caught up with Fitzy again, the guy with the nicknames. And he was just about to start heavy metal band okay and we we did that we, we were called Zero X-E-R-O and if you if you google it he had such a following and we did gigs with Nazareth ACDC Sensational Alex Harvey Band all, all the top heavy bands we supported them and uh, we did a, did an album and so you sang heavy metal heavy metal yeah, yeah I, wrote, I wrote all the lyrics a guy called Bill Lee Scang really fantastic incredibly fast heavy guitarist to we me did. that sounds like quite the departure but it feel that way to you no, but I, used to, I, used to, I used to really get fed up with the, the heavy metal singers mm-hmm. pulling faces and you know unnecessarily pulling faces I used to say why can't we call it I, I prefer to call it happy metal not heavy metal okay. you're being heavy for no no real reason other than the fact it's it's in your contract you know you've got to wear <laughs> leathers and be, be moody yeah. and I said the idea of music is to make people smile. So we, we that they were they were heavy numbers. I mean they were really heavy rock numbers. Mm. But I managed to sit across. The only reason it, it stopped was because after maybe two years, it, it was too loud. Because I can only control the PA system mm. up to so much. Guitarists can always go louder. Yeah. I get feedback. He doesn't. Yeah. So I, I was done for, I knew. and I, it, I ended up having suspecting throat cancer because my voice, I'd, I'd, I'd burnt it out. Goodness. And uh, the first initial reaction was, you know, it sounds like throat cancer. And I went to see specialists, and they said, no, you, they showed me photographs of my vocal cords, how they should be, and how they are. Right. And instead of being lovely and white and smooth, they were dark grey and mottled, you know. They oh. said, you've sung yourself into the ground. So I literally couldn't speak for two or three months. I gave up the heavy metal. Yeah, that's when you close the door on that. Yes. Yeah. And 
ironically, it, it probably made my voice a bit more smoother because not singing and when I came out of that, I, I joined a couple of bands and I, I did a lot of jazz things. Mm -hmm. I think you'll, you'll notice a lot of singers, uh, especially sort of soul singers, Rod Stewart's a good example. You get a career with rock music or soul music, but as you get older, or if you, he had throat nodules and he had, he had throat cancer. Mm. And the easy way out is to go to jazz, because when you're doing jazz classics, there's not a lot of effort in those songs. Right. You know, I've got you under my skin. Yeah. They just, they roll off the tongue, they're easy. So you'll find a lot of the older singers, they, they end up doing jazz stuff. Because some are very clever the because they, they reinvent jazz stuff, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, it is easy on the world. Compared to belting out rock stuff or yeah. soul stuff, it is very easy on the throat, which is, which is great. Uh, so I'll, I'll, every now and then, I, I, I might do a jazz gig every now and then with some old jazzers, you know. Yeah. And it's wonderful, wonderful. I mean, but my, my main thing at the moment is finding uh, different versions of well-known songs, you know. That, I've been doing that for the last three or four years now. <clears throat> there are so many places where you can get backing tracks. And if, if you type in the name of a song, you'll find 16 versions of that song. Yeah. I'll go through them all before buying one mm -hmm. to listen to what it sounds like can I do something with it you know yeah and that's what I've been doing because I, I, you do a track where people come up to you and say I love that song but I've never heard it done like that yeah. which is great you know um, and I, I mean I still get such a buzz out of music anyway I can tell from your performances I wasn't kidding I, mean, I, I love it no, influence wise I mean Michael McDonald has been my biggest influence because I, I I used to listen to him in the Doobie Brothers when he was in, in the early 70s. Plus, uh, we were going on parallel careers, blue, you know, Blue-Eyed Soul. Yeah. But he had obviously a massive career in America when he left the Doobie Brothers. And since then, I've seen him many times since as a solo artist, you know, and he's exactly what I try to achieve, he's doing all the time. I can see him uh, three weeks apart and it, he'll sing that song entirely different to what we did three weeks ago, you know. People in the audience don't know that, because they didn't yeah. see him three years ago. But but I tend to see him, I've seen him quite a few times, yeah. And I l just love the way he sits back on a melody, doesn't sing right to the beat, you know, that's what I like yeah. to do myself. I like to sing across the rhythm, or lay back and let the musicians do their bit, you know, it's... it's Really expressing yourself through yeah, your vocal it is. I mean, to me, it is, it is the greatest way to... Have through music it's the greatest way to express yourself it's fantastic any any mood you've got you can actually interpret through music whether you're happy as anything sad as anything you know I mean I I, I mean I, I must admit some songs I do and I, uh, the other night I uh, I did it in here once that Tears in Heaven mm -hmm. which got the big orchestration on it I did it the other night and a huge guy uh, just walked up to me crying his eyes out I went home he said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm just, thank you, I can't, I can't hang around anymore. <laughs> tears, tears rolling down his cheek. It obviously touched the nerves yeah. somewhere. But that's what music's about, you know, stirring emotions. Well, that's what, that's how it caught your ear at the start. And yes. that's what's keeping you going with it yes. even now. Yes. I so mean, it's 55, 55 years now since my first gig. Yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah no, I'm no. still going strong, I say. Uh, well, I'd like to think so, yes. I mean, I, I haven't lost any power. 
vocally, uh, and I'm still, I'm still hopefully not doing songs the way they were written, you know. And I, I am still writing stuff as well. Mm. I mean, you get a bit disheartened over the years because I've, I've done all the things that's got talent and all that stuff, but I don't want to go into that. Well, so far we've gone from Benny King yes. to heavy metal. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is already yeah. a hell of yeah, a story, right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, we yeah. might have to continue on the next. Yes, that'd be lovely, this, lovely, lovely. I mean, because I haven't mentioned the fact yet. I was managed by the Marquee for four years, and I was a resident house band. So every Saturday night, seven o'clock, half seven, I'd, we'd go on. Followed by Georgie Fame, followed by Jimmy Cliff and the Shakes, followed by Chris Farley, for all of my all the big artists of this, Gino Washington, all of those, you know. And I'm still friends with some of them now. We used to open up the show every Saturday night for all the big acts in London. Yeah, it was the biggest club in London, the Marquee Club. Goodness. And that was that was just the same time I was with DJM. I was a solo artist with DJM yeah. and a group artist with the Marquee Club. So it was, uh, it, was it was wonderful. It's it's yeah. I mean, really, I've been on the right side of it. Never touched drugs. I've, all my friends have they've dabbled, but they're all pretty sensible, you know. Yeah. I'm not a heavy drinker. I think it's a case of looking after your vocals. If yeah, you when you really out, treasure your instrument like that, you want to do right by it. That's the word, boy. It's an instrument. People Absolutely. say, "Do you play an instrument?" I say, "No, but I've got a, I've got a set of vocal cords that I look after." Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Moon to be continued. Yes, definitely, Roy. But thank you very much for your no, time today. Absolute pleasure, my man. I'm looking forward thank to the you. next one. Thank yes. you. And that was that. Thank you enormously for your time, Moon. And what a story. We, we've, like I said at the start of this episode, we're only just scratching the surface here, but already performing with Benny King, performing with Jimmy Cliff, pivoting into heavy metal, doing the, the Germany route that the Beatles did. Already, like before the age, of, before my age, you'd already lived about two lifetimes, music career wise. I I could have sat there for another hour or two to listen to all of it. And I do intend to meet up with him again to continue that story. Next time we get together, I might go back a bit and just re-establish the timeline. Because we started off at the beginning, Wilson Pickett in the midnight hour. It's a testament to how sincere his passion is for music. That he can pinpoint the moment when music for him went from being this passive in the background, oh yeah, I kind of enjoy it thing, to right, this is what I want to do. And recording in a laundromat with a friend, what a way to start. So next time I talk to him, I'm hoping to re-establish the timeline, maybe un uh, uncover anything we might have glossed over a little bit, so that we get the full picture of the story so far and then continue. By my count, we're in the mid-70s. He's just finished performing with Zero. So, the heavy metal chapter of his career. And how many people can say they have a heavy metal chapter of their career? But the heavy metal chapter of his career seems to be coming to an end. He's taking some time out to let his voice recover. And on the next chat I have with him, which will hopefully be next Thursday, we'll pick up from there and see what happens next in the Moon Williams story. But, oh, I absolutely loved every minute of that chat. Thank you very much, Moon. Thank you to Ben and Jax for hosting us at the Nelsons, a fantastic pub in East London, despite... Nope, just... No, it's a fantastic pub. That's all you need to know about it. Thank you to everyone who came to the open mic last night. It was another impressive cast of performers. In particular, thank you to Fana, who is this 
fantastic guitarist and singer. And of course, I was drumming along with him on the cajon. But then he gave me a cajon solo, which I really did not see coming. And I was already pretty exhausted with the rest of the night. But when a performer gives you a solo, you need to rise to the occasion. So thank you very much, Fana, for that. Thank you to Afia Lorraine for coming down as well. It was her first time there. And I think the first time she'd performed since we had our show together at Road Trip and the Workshop on Tuesday. Thank you to everyone. It was a fantastic night. Moon, of course, was astounding as always. And he recently sent me some music he's been working on more recently. And he is no stranger to the dance music scene. This is a man with many feathers to his bow, many arrows to his quiver. You know what I'm trying to say. He's a man of many talents. And I look forward to finding out more about that the next time we talk. But for now, thank you all very much for listening. Again, you can see me on stage, on stage stage, because technically I'm on stage at all of these open mics, ukopenmic.com to check those out. But I will next be on stage, stage, whatever that means, at Road Trip and the Workshop, Tuesday, 20th of August, free entry. I would love to see you come down. The last one I did, I already mentioned on a previous episode how a lot of the people in the room, I could just call out the episode numbers that they were. And I'd love to do that with even more people at the next show. So hopefully I'll see you there. Moon was there at the last show, which was a very sweet thing for him to do. So thank you for that as well, Moon. Now that's all from me for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Feel free to reach out to me. Let me know what you think. Saddestnightout at gmail.com. Let me know if there's anyone you think I should talk to or any shows or releases you have coming up that you'd like me to promote. Otherwise, I will catch you on the next episode. Take care.